Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wide Wonders Get on the Bus podcast, where we try very hard every day to think lightly of ourselves and deeply of the world. Our mission here is to talk about addiction and mental injury stigma. Why? Because stigma holds everything back. It holds back context for how people end up becoming addicted. It holds back people understanding the difference between dependence and addiction. It holds back family healing. And I think most, most importantly, it holds back compassion and empathy. On the show today to talk about stigma, among other things, is Kevin Strauss. I connected with Kevin over LinkedIn. I saw a couple of his posts, and then I read his mission where he says, and I quote, I believe people yearn to feel closer to others. Not to everyone, but to people who matter most to us. I believe we each long to be heard, valued, because then we know we matter, and that makes us happy. Happy people do things do good things and are less destructive to themselves and others. I believe the closer and happier we are, the better our world will be. My mission is to help connect people connect authentically with those who matter most to them. My vision is a world at peace because every human being truly believes they matter. I happen to believe that the real big crisis, I mean, when I read that, I was like, wow, okay, that's, to me in there, there was this moonshot thing, this world peace thing and stuff. And I've, I've read some other things that you've written. And I happen to believe that the real big crisis we are experiencing in our country is a crisis of belonging. And, and not belonging is deeply connected to stigma. Stigma is discrimination. It's marginalization. And I thought, there you go. Kevin is a guy I have to try to talk to. And, and here we are. And so thank you for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm a, I'm a big podcaster. Are you a podcaster? I do not create podcasts. I've been um, interviewed on a few uh, recently. So Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. I, a podcast are these things that are just sort of, they've been lurking in the background for a long time and they just continue to get more big and big and big and more important in the mix in terms of getting our message out. I was just wondering if you'd listen to any. Yeah. Um, I only listen to, I don't listen to any podcasts regularly. I don't have a commute. I'm not in the car very often. So yeah, I actually don't listen to, but there's so many good podcasts out there and there's so much great information being shared. Oh, man. Yeah, the content is not our problem. It's finding time to consume it. It, it is. It really <laughs> is. And if I go for a run, I either don't take any, you know, anything with me, or yeah. or I'll have music, but it's rare. Yeah. Um, so I do it back and forth. I vary because there's sometimes when I don't want to be listening to something, I want to be able to look around and be more present. And then there are other times, so I kind of go back and forth. Yeah. Before we get too far off, I wanted to stay connected to the mission. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to state it again. My mission is to help people connect authentically with those who matter most to them. And my vision is a world at peace because every human being truly believes they matter. The question that comes to mind for me is how does a guy get a mission like that? <laughs> 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 sort of taking us back to you know some history would be cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's really been this like evolution across my career and yeah. you know I'll be honest it even goes back to when I was like 17 years old but but mostly across my career and just observing and when I got into the into corporate America I was really kind of dumbfounded like I I couldn't believe 
like how inefficient it was. I mean, I've been working since I was 14 years old, but once I got into corporate America with a regular, you know, job after my degrees and everything, I was like, how is America this superpower when no one really seems to want to do anything? And, you know, I'm like 23 years old and it just, it kind of blew my mind. And, and then that, that raised the question, why do people do what they do? And then a couple of years after that job, then I started, I found another biomedical engineering kind of job, but we were doing behavior research or behavior modification research funded by NIH. So we would get grants from NIH to do this research for, I air quote, medical device, because it's nothing that would be regulated by the FDA, but it's like helping people mostly with activities of daily living. And then just that combined with my personal life, my dating life, which wasn't going very well, and just observing the world around me and seeing people struggling so much, I just started digging into it. And then I had this epiphany one day while watching, I'll try not to make this too long of a story, um, yeah, while watching an episode of Boston Public. Do you remember that TV show, Boston Public? Vaguely. It was a Kelly production okay, around yeah. the time of like Ally McBeal. And it was like an inner city Boston public school. And there was an episode in 2001 where the principal's daughter was now attending his school and they were just butting heads constantly, constantly mm-hmm. arguing. And I'm sitting there watching this show and I'm like, if you people would just say what you really feel <laughs> or what you really think, you would have no argument. You'd have no conflict. And I'm like, and there'd be no show. <laughs> well, right, right, exactly. There'd be no show, no drama, and right. that would be the end of that. You know, I see that, and I'm like, just say what you really think, and just say, share how you really feel. And, yeah, I so and, appreciate that. Yeah, and you know, I'm doing this behavior modification research. I'm trying to understand why I seem to be meeting so many women with low self esteem which by the way, just as many men have low self-esteem as women, but that's a whole other topic. So this is like 2001. So the internet is still, you know, getting going. We had the, the um, dot-com bubble and everything in 98, but the internet is still kind of finding its way. And I was writing a lot of email with friends and we would get in these like really deep conversations just through email. And it got me thinking, like some friends that I'd only met in person like one time, and we would have these epic conversations that would last weeks <laughs> over email. Wow. So I'm combining all this, and this is what I do as an engineer to solve problems. I just pull from every aspect of my life. And over the course of, of that night, from watching that TV show, and by the time I got to the office the next morning, I come up with this whole idea of how to help people communicate easier using the written word. And then once I started researching that, because we were going to propose this idea to NIH to get funding. Okay. For those of you who don't know, that's the National Institute of Health? Yes. Yes. Okay. So once I started digging into behavior, like on a more formal basis, digging into behavior and especially high risk behavior, especially high risk behavior of teens, because I think teens are kind of the lost population. I started finding all this information that when someone's struggling with like an eating disorder, when they feel more connected, their eating disorder gets better. 
when someone's struggling with drug abuse, when they feel more connected, and this is from research, the research shows when they feel more connected, their drug abuse gets better. Um, if they're struggling with alcohol abuse, when they feel more connected, alcohol abuse gets better. You know, bullying gets better. Grades get better. I mean, all these things get better. All these behaviors improve when you feel more connected. And then, you know, fast forward 17 years and I'm still just, I've gone so far down this rabbit hole now because I've really been staying on it for 17 years since that 2001 Boston Public episode. And just more and more, I just, I can't get away from it. That connection, love, belonging, that I believe that is where humanity is really struggling. And I actually think there's a reason why why it's been that way for our species. And now we're at the time, we're really at the dawn of a new age, in my opinion. And it's the age of, the dawn of the emotional revolution or the yeah. age of an emotional revolution for humanity. Yeah, like mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that once we do feel this love, connection and belonging, which is basically like Maslow's third hierarchy need, we, don't, we won't have to compensate any longer with our behaviors because our behaviors are really just symptoms. Totally. And, and when we're no longer compensating with our destructive behavior, we'll be having constructive behavior. And the more constructive behavior we have, the better our species you know, will have an opportunity to thrive. And that's how we get to world peace. When we're no longer self-destructing, each other like ourselves and other that's when we have peace absolutely awesome. and thank you david kelly <laughs> yeah david e. kelly i'd love to meet him someday you david know? E. Kelly, that's right he is he is one of my all-time favorites i'm a big fan of his shows boston public well i don't think it was on for very long i don't know where i was in that part of my life i think i was just about getting into my own what i call long-term discovery from a, a, about a two-decade relationship with a maladaptive coping strategy. (laughs) Right. Well, that's how we do it. (laughs) But the point is, is that what I have also recognized over time, as I look back from the armchair quarterback position, is that everything that was challenging in my life was born in relationship. And so what became clear to me is that the healing gets to happen or happens in relationship as well. So what's What's really important about relationship is communication in said relationship. And how does that tie directly into stigma, tie directly into healing both? And what I like about what you said also in your profile is uh, this idea of root cause. Mm -hmm. Because what I've also recognized, at least in behavioral health, specifically around substance use disorder addiction is that we tend to wave the smoke around instead of just going and putting out the fire. Right, right. Yeah, I like that analogy. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, what, what comes with that uh, strategy is continued suffering, you know, this, the continued struggle, um, and continuing to sort of just doing the same thing over again, expecting a different result, which is ironic because that's really what we're teaching people not to do. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's so backwards and yeah. it's, it's frustrating. And, and yeah. that's why I'm glad people like you are doing podcasts like this because 
any any chance to get the word out even more is great. You know, the education and awareness is so important. But I think what we also desperately need are definitive tools that yes. people can use. Because, you know, I, I think I was just doing a search this morning on some keyword or something, a connection, like family connection. Yeah. And you can just find list and list and list and list on how to connect, you know, oh, listen attentively and, and have an open space and um, use positive sounding words. Like, yeah, we all know that stuff. It's just, it's not happening. It's just not right. happening. And also what I realized is that if talking was working, if, if people could actually talk and articulate effectively and really share their thoughts and feelings, we would have no problem. So this talking thing that everybody's talking about, talking isn't working. It, it, I mean, I'm a big fan of verbal communication, but it's not the only means of communication. And that's why, you know, I noticed through the email that I was writing with, with friends, we were becoming incredibly connected just through the written word. So I think there's a lot of advantages to the written word. And for those in your audience that are a little bit older, they might remember the days of letter writing. Yeah. You know, people would write letters back and forth for months, for years, if someone was away at war, and they would become incredibly connected, never speaking to one another, not seeing one another for months or years, and develop an incredibly close relationship. So, it, you know, verbal communication is not the only way to connect. And I just want to stress that, like, there are other ways. Absolutely. I've done a little bit of research scratching the surface around how important journaling can be and how important just the expression of the written word to self. I've, I've practiced right. myself back in the day um, a thing called morning pages, which is a part of the artist way mm -hmm. process of connection with self, um, which was really powerful. And so, usually, when I work with people, it's sort of just Without going into too much detail about why it's great, I usually say something like, really great, inexpensive therapy is to journal. <laughs> yeah, and there's so much good research around how powerful journaling is. You know, yeah. James Pennebaker did most of the, well, like he really launched that whole concept um, several decades back and, and he's written a couple of books on it. I've spoken to him too, it's it really fun. And, and it's great. And it's great for that, you know, self-discovery and, and getting your feelings out and your thoughts out on, on paper and really kind of making them concrete. So I'm a huge, huge fan of that. But again, what we're missing, and I think what we're missing in so much of our mental health treatment and just self-help in general, is that we are constantly focusing on the self, you know, fix this behavior, work on yourself, try to eat better. Do it yourself, work on yourself, meditate yourself, do your yoga. And at what time are we really nurturing our relationships with others? Because that's where, that's where the root problem that I see is really coming from. It doesn't matter how much running you do and how healthy you eat. If you have a terrible relationship with a parent, you're never going to get anywhere because you're going to be constantly looking for some way to compensate for that pain, whether it's food or drugs or work or just being busy, you know? 
That's yeah. how we don't deal with our feelings. So it goes yeah. back to that relationship that you were talking about earlier, how relationships are such a key. And we're not going far enough back into a person's childhood because it begins on day one of life yeah, is yeah. when the relationship really begins with that caregiver. We'll just say parent for sake of argument. Mm-hmm. And, and if we don't set up a nurturing environment, if we are shaming or judging or conditionally loving our kids, that's what they learn. These are learned behaviors. I, I am so not a fan of the genetic argument. And we keep finding more and more that the genetics is, is really not the problem. It's how the genes are expressed, which is the epigenetics, which is based on your environment. Absolutely. So it's really what environment are you growing up in? And, you know, your brain, a human brain, you know, for the first six years, five, six, seven years of life, the human brain is, is mostly in a theta wave pattern. So everything, which means that it's like a tap right into your subconscious. So everything you're exposed to in those first five, six, seven years of life is wired right into your subconscious. And that's your story. That's your narrative. That's what you've learned. So that's what you continue to fulfill. Right. And so the process of discovery or transformation or process of struggle is beginning because of what has been sort of programmed, if you will, through the environment, through your relationships, right. through the nurturing or lack of nurturing or some combination thereof. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden you're sitting there and you're look you're starting to develop autonomy and you're 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 growing in the world and you're separating, if you will you know, from parents are looking for that separation. And then all of a sudden you're met with middle school, (laughs) 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 which I would never repeat ever in my life (laughs) if I had somebody gave me the choice because we're sort of coming up against a lot of other people's first seven years, right? And so you're all sort of gathered there and it's kind of really a testing ground. And then you go on to high school And so that takes me back to when I was sort of developing what I was going to be in my life and what direction I was going to go while I was having this maladaptive relationship or coping skill with vodka and cocaine. I was always fascinated with why in in some formal educational process that they weren't teaching us about life. It was always reading, writing, arithmetic. It was very yeah, very, you know, sort of, that's a whole other discussion about how the educational system is right. necessarily perpetuating and responsible for us finding ourselves in a crisis of belonging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the problem is, is that we never really learned how to love when we were young. We never really, you know, we weren't fully taught that behavior, that emotion, that we didn't really weren't taught how to connect Right. You know, and there's a real difference between communication and connection, right. I think. And I think we need to distinguish those. And there's a real difference between emotional health and mental health. I mean, the definitions that I choose for mental health, and this is, and we can get into the stigma part too, because we're doing a, a, a huge disservice. You know, I wrote a, I wrote a, a article about the difference between mental illness and mental health, but the reality is is that if you're a human being, then you need to nurture your mental health. 
That, that's just it. So every human being needs to work on their mental health, just like yeah. every human being needs to work on their physical health, right? Or you'll die. That's right. So to have stigma around mental health is, is just ludicrous to me because every human being needs to, to nurture it. Mental health so, is health. It is, exactly. So there really shouldn't yeah. be any stigma around it because we all need to deal with it. So Kevin, is it because we lump it together with mental illness? Well, I think that's one huge problem is yeah. that we, we too often we use mental illness and mental health interchangeably. Yeah. And just as detrimentally, we lump emotional health under that as well. Right. So until we really separate, and, and actually most behavior is what I've come to understand is most behavior is really driven by a person person's state of emotional health, not even so much their mental health, a little bit mental health. I agree. And, and even less mental illness, because quite frankly, yeah. the people who are truly mentally ill, they can't even function on their own. Like they can't even get a, a day go like, that's right. And they're getting, getting the help that they need or else they would just with die or something. So I think the people who are truly mentally ill are getting the help that they need. The, and mental health really isn't near the problem that society and, and media and even the medical profession talks about. And the real problem is actually emotional health. So I'll give you my quick little definitions that I use. The definition yeah. that, I, that I prefer for mental health is a person's ability to focus, think clearly, concentrate, and perform like cognitive tasks or complex cognitive tasks. So it's really your thinking ability. Whereas emotional health is a person's ability to give and receive love. So love, connection, belonging, support. So it's a person's ability to feel is their emotional health, and to think is their mental health. And of course, all the different areas of health all influence one another. So, you know, if your emotional health is compromised, then your physical health can be compromised. And if your mental health is compromised, then it can impact your emotional. So it all they all overlap, but there's typically a primary driving element. And then emotional health, not to get confused with emotional intelligence, which is your ability to manage and um, appropriately express your emotions. Right. So simply the ability to give and receive love, that, that is fundamental. And, and we're not getting it. And when we don't get it, it registers, it's painful, it hurts. When we don't feel yep. love, it hurts. And the brain can't, cannot distinguish between emotional pain and physical pain. You know, if you get like a functional MRI scan while you're looking at pictures or, or however they, you know, whatever they question you with, you right. can't distinguish between physical pain and emotional pain. And a human being will do anything to avoid pain. That's right. So, and since we have no real tools to help people connect authentically, then we, we do anything. And too often we try and solve an emotional problem with a physical solution, right? Oh, go for a run, um, eat healthier, you know, eat more fruits and vegetables, um, take this pill for depression, 
which is actually really no better than a placebo. So, you know, we're trying to solve emotional problems with physical solutions. And how's that working for us? It's not working real well. So let's, that's a good transition piece to go into. You talked about earlier, you were touching on the idea of tools. Tools, right. So we yeah. need tools that don't just focus on self, right? It doesn't right. matter how mindful you are and present in the moment if you, have a, if you have a terrible relationship and you never felt loved by your parent. You know, and one of the big challenges with, with parenting and all is, I was going a different direction with that, but is how we, well, I'll just stop that right now because I lost my train of thought on that one. My <laughs> Sometimes the train leaves and we're not on it. <laughs> yeah, that happens. There's my mental health, right? My ability to <laughs> right, there you go. concentrate. I got too much stuff going on in my brain on that topic. Right. Yeah. So we need the tools though. We need tools that focus on connecting with other people, not just yourself. So that touches on a great point because I read something the other day that uh, life is not about happiness, it's about usefulness. Does that make sense? So the idea of being useful, of being a utility is outside yourself, not necessarily just self-care or self-anything. It's more, how am I useful? And that that actually uh, connects with or the idea of relationship, right? Well, yeah, I can see it connecting with relationship, but the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned useful, that sounds to me like purpose. Yeah. And, and in, in my world of, of wellness, I bring in spiritual health. And my definition that I prefer for spiritual health is a person's ability to know and understand and pursue their purpose in life. Yeah. yeah. And, and the reason I like that definition so much is because it, it doesn't just confine a human to to a religion or God. However, but it doesn't discriminate from those who don't believe in God or religion. Because your if your purpose is to serve God, well, great. And and that is what nurtures your spiritual health. Yeah. You know? But if my purpose is to you know, provide for my family. Well, that's my purpose. And you can have multiple purposes and they can be bigger purposes and smaller purposes and, you know, that kind of thing. So, and, but we need that. I think as humans, we do need to feel like we have a purpose in life or we feel useful or we feel like we matter. And again, feeling like we matter, that can be purpose, but that can also be like that we matter to another person. And that gets to the relationship we were talking about. So, so it can fulfill the emotional health definition that I was using earlier. Yeah, you know, in the world that I, that I work in and, and focus on behavioral health, particularly substance use disorder, there is this, at, at sort of the essence of it, at the foundation of it, is a breakdown in relationship. Right. Isn't that where it all pretty much begins? That's it. And so when people are calling me, they're saying... They're basically saying, if they could articulate it, I can't parent this person. I don't know how to communicate. They're not listening. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not doing what I want them to do. (laughs) Right, right. They're not doing what I want them to do. They're not doing the behavior that I want them to do. That's right. So can you help me with that? Right. That's what they're saying. Mm Because I am at the end of my rope. I'm washing my hands. This is too big for me. This is too complicated. This is too hard. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah. what, 
what is interesting to me about what you, where you seem to come from based on your sort of biomedical engineer background, what you say is that once you truly understand the root cause, then the solution is typically quite simple. When somebody comes to me, they have no, again, if they're waving around smoke instead of putting out the the fire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So root cause is really a big part of my cause is like, let's talk about the roots. And everyone's like, but wait a minute, it's big pharma or it's, uh, or it's, it's gosh, drugs or trying it's, to blame yeah. everybody else. Oh, the doctors are prescribing too many drugs. doctors. There's another doctors one. Fall. Right. You so know? let's talk about that because I think that's really important for listeners is that we're distracted by the bright and shiny or this sort of villain approach. We, we need a villain. We need a Lord Sith in order for this <laughs> right. to really, right? Right. So, well, and we want to blame someone, you know, yeah, and it's not our fault. I didn't do anything wrong. And, and, you know, I'll probably get some flack for this, but, you know, quite honestly, the, the, the root, the problem is parenting. People don't know how to parent. Right. It's, it, that's a good point. I want to, I want to emphasize that because when I talk to parents, one of the first things I say is that the only perfect parents are the ones that don't have kids yet. <laughs> well, that would make some sense. And I'll, and truth be told, I do not have any children. Yeah. But I was a child at one time. Right. You've been in a relationship with a parent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. some good research. <laughs> it is. I, you know, Absolutely. I still get that from my parents, you know, today. Right. right. You know? So right. yeah, there's still that. I still have my struggles with my parents. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not perfect, but you know, we never want to blame parents, you know, like, Oh, parent, you know, and, and my, my goal is not to blame parents, but it's really just to acknowledge that most people just don't know how to parent. And he, That's right. here's the reason why, because they only do what they were taught. That's right. And their parents didn't know how to parent. And they only did what they were taught. And their parents didn't know how to parent. And and this just goes back through the generations. That's right. Through all, you know, through the 200,000 years of humankind. Right. You know, of Homo sapiens. You know, modern humans have been around for 200,000 years. So when I mentioned earlier that we're on the like precipice of a new age, this emotional revolution age, it's because what I see or what I think, well, the reality is our species up until as little as 150 years ago, but really like 70 years ago since World War II, humans have really only been concerned with survival, right? I mean, 150 years ago, man could not reliably source food. That's we right. could not reliably preserve food, right? We didn't know if we'd make it through a winter. Yeah. And, and even in the first half of the 20th century, it was still like that for a lot of places. And even today, you know, 80% of the world's population does not have enough food and water in a given day. So even today, humanity is still struggling just to survive. But of the 20% of humanity, that is able to survive food, water, shelter, you know, safety, security is those needs are met. But now those 20% and not all of them, but the 20% were self-destructing with drugs, with alcohol, with obesity, with bullying, with gun violence, with self-harm, with anorexia and bulimia 
and um, gun violence. Meanwhile, we're killing people at work with stress. And mm-hmm. where's most stress come from? Relationships. My boss is piling more work on me. Now I can't think straight. So my mental health starts to suffer. I'm getting upset because I get berated at the office. They're threatening me with my job, my securities. So it's this big cascade. Yeah. You know, but the, the, the fundamental issue is that we don't know how to connect because it's never been a priority for our species. Our first priority up until just 70 years ago has been food, water, shelter, and security. So that's why I think we're at the age of a new evolution because now that 20% of the world's population can survive, but we're not thriving because we don't know how to emotionally connect. We don't know how to nurture our emotional health. And that, Mm -hmm. once you feel love and connection, then you can start to work on your self-esteem, which is a total epidemic because we don't have the connection. And then you can move on to like self-actualization and so on. So that's why it just has not been a priority for our species up until only 70 years ago of our 200,000 year evolution or existence. Well, I'm a contextualist, so I really appreciate that. And I think that's, that's a really important way of teaching is, is context and giving. And also what's really powerful, and I think that you're, you touch on as well, is how to reframe this so people can actually grab a hold of it. Does that make sense? Like in terms of tools and how you present this, mm-hmm. what kind of success are you finding in terms of introducing the tools? What kind of reception are you having as you're bringing up that this is the essential issue that com- that goes on in most systems. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's difficult. It's I find it I'm finding it quite difficult, which is another reason I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think most people don't even realize they're struggling. And they think, oh, you know, oh, yeah, I was at the Christmas or we had our, you know, Christmas party or our holiday parties at the office and, and you posted this Oh, and I got five bottles of wine and three bottles of liquor as presents. You know, I don't even drink, you know, or I'm a recovering alcoholic or something. And it's just become such a norm. You know, alcohol is such a norm. Recreational drugs, such a norm. Food. I mean, how many people eat their feelings? Oh, yeah. Emotional eating. It's real. It's, it's completely, I mean, and we get it reinforced, you know, you watch a movie and, and the woman gets dumped by the guy. So she goes and has a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream or the guy gets dumped by the girl. Cause I always have to go both ways. Right. Right. And, and they go and get drunk or have yeah. meaningless sex, you know, something like that. That's what we're taught in media. Yeah. You know, so it keeps getting reinforced as the norm. Yeah, um, that's a really good point. Aren't even looking for it, really, unless they get to crisis, and then they then they seek out people like you or something. Um, mm-hmm. Right, crisis, exactly. Crisis. You know, so the preventative preventative care is just not a big model, at least in the United States. But I would still argue this is a this is a worldwide issue because it's humanity. It just presents differently in different cultures. You know, there's other there's other. Um, places around the world that have uh, bigger drug problem issues, like cities, like uh, U.S. does not even have the worst um, drug addiction problem in the world. Like, there's not the U. It's not a U.S. city. There's a different. It's like in 
in like the Middle East, I think. Per capita, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Suicide, you know, even though it's bad here, I think suicide's worse in, in like some other country, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds. Right. So we just don't have these tools. We weren't taught these tools. All these destructive behaviors have kind of become a norm, but it seems like it's getting to be it's really getting to like a boiling point because there's just right. so many, but we keep trying to find some like physical solution. Oh, it's genetic. Oh, let's blame the doctors. Oh, or big pharma, you know? Oh, it's because of the fast food companies. No one's forcing you to eat fast food, you know? I mean, you could live like a can of beans a day. It's habitual. It's reactive. And it's because yeah. we've set it up in a sense that everything is reactive. It's, it's more... It's symptom care, right? It's symptom care. It's not root cause. It's, it's symptom. So, it's completely symptom care. And we treat our own symptoms. I feel sad, so I'm going to go have some chocolate. Right. Or right. I feel I, I'm depressed I'm gonna, or I'm really you know, upset with, with work, so I'm going to go to happy hour and have three or four drinks. Totally. Because you know, I'm burned out at work and my boss is like driving me so hard and I have to work too many hours and I'm all hyped up, so now I got to relax. So then I drink alcohol, but now I'm exhausted in the morning. So I get my super extra caffeine latte, whatever. Yes. So I go to the drug dealer first thing in the morning, Starbucks. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, the coffee craze, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's It's amazing how it's set up. It's perfectly where it's supposed to be based on the context in which you present it. And I think that's a really good place to switch to, again, this idea of root cause and let's talk about what we don't even know we're supposed to talk about or we don't want to talk about it could be a little bit of both yeah to help balance wellness and nurture emotional health you put that in your in your in your bio as well on linkedin and in doing it in a fun and completely non-clinical way which i love because that addresses some of that stigma and maybe helps people realize how ubiquitous this is across the spectrum. And everybody around you is really sort of experiencing very similar mental health. And that, and that brings it to the idea of we do this together. We don't do it in a vacuum. We do it as something that is, which should be normalized and should be fun and non-clinical. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So it goes it goes back to the connection, right? And how do we really connect? And 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 I think we're we're just struggling because we don't know how and even even when we tried as children, then too often we get shamed or judged. So shut down. then we shut down and then we don't want to be vulnerable and you can't just be vulnerable straight off the bat. Like I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and, and vulnerability and everything, but you know, a lot of people got in trouble with, with just being vulnerable to people they shouldn't have been vulnerable to and then were taken advantage of. So there needs to be trust and right. Relational awareness. Yeah, yeah. Racial awareness and, and trust and, and that takes time. And that's the thing about relationships is you don't just build a relationship in an afternoon. Like I love those team building exercises and stuff at work and everything. Right. But you don't build a relationship in an afternoon or a day or, or even a weekend, you know? 
it, it takes time. And Kevin, we don't have time. You don't understand. We're <laughs> under a deadline. We have things, we have goals we have to. <laughs> right, right. You know and I mean? why do I have to reach that next goal? Because I need to feel, because I need to feel valued in life because I didn't feel valued as a child. So I have to, I have to prove myself with all these things I do at work or in play, you know, and, and, oh, I did a triathlon. I mean, I'm a triathlete, so I'll pick on triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, look at, I, I, I do matter. I am somebody because I completed this task and, you know, we do it just to feel valued in yeah. this world because yeah. we didn't get it. So we need to, we need to connect. And what I think is required for connection, I think there's two things that you need. You need, one, you need to share similar kinds of information or experiences. And then two, to a similar level of depth or intimacy. So you need to share similar kinds of information. You know, if I'm sharing really deep stuff about myself and you're just talking about like, you know, what you had for dinner last night, you know, I think we're going to struggle to connect. So it has to be like a two-way exchange. And, and that's, that's what I've done. I, if you wanted me to, to talk about um, the tools that I've created, yes, please. You know that's why I created familyejournal.com, and that's what came out of the David E. Kelly, you know, Boston Public. Yeah, I love that episode. So, so really, what I did is I created this question and answer activity, um, and I used the internet to do it because what a great tool the internet is, and. Yeah you know, created this huge database of questions and you create a small group of people like, you know, your family or a group of friends and you just answer these fun, simple questions. And you've seen these card decks around more recently, but what's so great about it is you don't have to be in person and you can have just the same kind of level of connection by writing out your answer into the computer online, but it's only accessible by your group. And that's so important. This isn't social media. This isn't blasting it to the universe because you can't really connect with 500 people or 1,000 people or 10,000 people. It doesn't work, right? Right. I mean, the human brain doesn't work that way. There's different cutoffs for relationships. And the biggest one is around 100 to 150 people. Right. Tribes would split like in Africa, like back in the day or even now. They would split when they got to about 100 or 150 people because you just can't manage that people in your social network. Wow. So with familyejournal.com, you you answer a couple questions and then you read the answers of the people in your group. And the people in the group are people you know because they matter to you. This is fantastic. I love this. Thanks. Yeah. And just by sharing a little bit of information with each other on fun topics, you know, like yeah. look outside your window, describe what you see. How does that make you feel? What's the best time to look outside your window? You know, if you could rearrange your house in any way, how would it be? Um, we don't get political. We don't get religious. It's really just about sharing your perspective on the world with the people who care about you and that you care about. I love this. I love this because that goes straight to the heart of what I was talking about earlier about when when somebody's contacting me in crisis it's there's a complete breakdown of any kind of connection yeah. and I, you're you're familiar with Johan Hari and his idea that uh, I love for, his books yeah the cure for addiction is not abstinence it's connection right there's another guy who started the wellness movement a long time ago and his name always escapes me and I'll try to I'm going to tr- I'm going to focus on that name more and more because it comes up all the time and he coined the phrase 
I believe connection is the currency of wellness. Okay, cool. And at the root of it, when I'm trying to put a family back together in the sense of just speaking to each other, it really is built on the idea of how much more we're alike than how we're different. Because in this particular instance, everything is about how different that person is who's struggling with some mental injury or some, right. some addiction. It's like, oh my God, they're, they're so, they're diametrically opposed to us. They're just, they're like a, they're like an alien. Yeah. And, it's and like, now you're outcasting, you're ostracizing that person. Marginalizing, stigmatizing, yeah. Yeah. isolating. And, yeah. and how does that make you feel? Well, there's no <laughs> healing that going person. on. <laughs> I'll yeah, tell you that, that. feels terrible. Yeah. Terrible. And then they go into isolation and avoid everything and that makes it worse. Worse and worse. Yeah. And it's just a downward spiral, you know? Yeah. But we think, oh, no, you have to fix your behavior. You need to stop using drugs. You need to stop right. drinking. But we're not, we're not taking that person in. We're not caring for that person. And, and that's really what they want. That's right. And yeah. if you listen, because, you know, I, I mean, I, I watch enough of these documentaries where they're interviewed because I don't work directly with, I don't work directly with any of these, you know, people who are struggling with um, behaviors or anything like that. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm not, that's not my expertise. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. But you watch these interviews and if you listen, you'll hear things like, yeah, I just never felt like I belonged or I don't feel like anyone cares about me. Or, <laughs> it's the same for every person I've ever right? And you know it because you're right on the front line. So you, you it was my own personal experience. I was like, but I would, my parents would just focus on the behavior and symptoms, period. That's it. That's it. And we do the same thing for good behavior. Like, oh, if, if that's right, crying, then I'll give you a lollipop. You know, if right. you don't throw a tantrum, then I'll get you a cookie in the grocery store, you know? And, and, you know, if you get good grades, I'll love you, you know? And even though the parent loves unconditionally, that's not the message that they're giving to their kid. No. And then that kid grows up like, I better get good grades. I get good grades. I keep reinforcing that behavior. And then they become these overachievers, which they do a lot of great things with their overachieving. But they also, I mean, I've worked with doctors my whole career and man, their personal lives, you know, are kind of a mess most of the time. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a good point because my own experience of being involved in the behavioral health world is that there is a tendency to sort of glaze over, if you will, some of the deeper root causes and, you know, just deal with the symptoms and behavior. So in recovery, they say, put the plug in the jug mm -hmm. and then, and then everything should be okay. I mean, that's sort of the, the overarching theme is that just stop drinking, just stop doing okay. drugs. Right. Just you know? stop. Yeah. Just stop. Just stop. Right. Just say no. Kind if of you thing. really wanted to, you could just do it, you know? Right. Exactly. It's like, where's the willpower? Where's the, you know, any number of like, and then, or if, let's say they do stop, let's just say they do stop right. because they, because they get into triathlon or they get into CrossFit. Right. They, they age out, they do whatever, you know? they mature out of it. They just stop. Yeah. But then, exactly. but then, and then they just replace one behavior with another. Exactly. You still yeah. have to get addicted to triathlon. I see it all the time. I coach triathletes, you know, I see it all the time and, or they get addicted to CrossFit. And then what happens? That's right. Then what happens when they go so extreme with those activities because they're trying to ease their pain, their emotional pain with physical solutions and, and avoid it by being busy all the time. Then they get injured or burned out. That's right. It's not sustainable. Right. And then they get depressed after that so it's like, because they, they run out of ways to try to compensate for their, for their pain 
but it's, these are just the symptoms. They're not ever addressing the root. We keep coming back to this, Kevin, and I think that's sort of thematically what drew me to you was this idea of what, how we're aligned is this root cause thing. You have a drug problem. No, I don't. I have a drug solution. A solution to what? <laughs> this is why so many of the, the programs out there don't work. That's right. They, they don't work, and you know, I, you know, and I'm happy if it, it does work for people. That's what I want. Like, great. I celebrate. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, but you know, the numbers for like Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the numbers are less than ten percent of people are still not drinking at one year. So more than ninety percent of people who go through AA are are drinking again within a year. That's right. That's their that's their success rate, and that's the gold standard. Has been for a long time, yep. You know, so so 90% failure rate, and that's the gold standard. I mean, it's not working. It's not working. Now, if it works for you, I think that's great. Keep doing it. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. But but when 90% of the people who use it, it's not working, I think we're missing the target here. Right, and then they end up thinking that it's them. That it's them, and it's not them. It's that the solution just doesn't fit the problem. Exactly. Because the problem is not the alcohol. I mean, alcohol is like a secondary problem. The problem is they didn't feel love, connection, belonging. They didn't feel like they were heard. They didn't feel valued. And that's where like, oh, we blame social media now, right? Oh, social media. Oh, everyone's addicted to their phone. It's all social media. It's just another symptom. It's just a behavior. Yep. That's all it is. And and why do we get so addicted to social media? Why do I have to post constantly on Facebook or Instagram? Because I just want to be heard. Somebody see me. Somebody see me. value me. Because I didn't feel valued and seen as a child, most likely. There could have been an event later in life that, that caused this. But more than likely, I'd say, and, and again, this is from all this research that I've read over 17 years, um, yeah. and published. You know, I've published... Um, peer-reviewed research on Family eJournal showing that it does improve relationships and connections. You know, I've got peer-reviewed research on that, and and actually took it a step further. And I have statistically significant data showing that FamilyEJournal.com improves depression. Well, I'm going to start using this. I'm so happy. I didn't hear about this until this talk about your your FamilyEJournal.com. I love that because it's it's really my my passion, my, my, I'm most enthusiastic about trying to, again, focus people on the whole and not just the parts because the parts are the distraction and nobody wants to talk about relationship or connection. They all want just, just stop. Well, just stop yeah. 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 Just stop that behavior. Well, if that was working, then, then everyone would just right. stop, you know, and it's completely, not. okay, then just stop eating that ice cream, you know, and just that's not what the problem is, you know? So talk about a little bit about what you've found in your research is a common root cause. The, well, the common root cause is, is just feeling like the connection, feeling like yeah. someone actually gets you. And, and, you know, and, and the research, you know, shows that 25% of adults in the United States report they don't have a single person in their life that they can quote go to at any given time. That is heartbreaking to me. That literally twenty five percent hits me in the heart because I, I relate to that. I and mean, I also think about how we just don't talk about this enough about this yeah. idea 
belonging and connection. I think it is, like you said, and I really appreciate your moonshot thinking because I think that's what we need. Thanks. We need more thinkers who are thinking moonshot, who are thinking, you know, like zero suicide, you know, like really just really concisely and clearly stating as it relates to some particular struggle that we're having that we just clearly say enough is enough. We get to address this because it will move the needle. I, I hope so. I hope so. Well, and then we give them a tool that they can actually use that doesn't take any training. It doesn't take any, you know, there's no learning curve. You know, a seven-year-old can use family e-journal. They'll be using it within two minutes or not even two minutes. Like that's how easy it is. This is what we need because also I think an important part of of the idea of going from sort of there's a problem for every solution to there's a solution for every problem is this idea of it's too complicated. You know, it's, uh, uh, does it always have to be clinical? Do I always have to talk to a therapist? Because let's be honest, therapy is a real art and not everyone is an artist. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is why, you know, people go, they bounce from therapist to therapist or they're in therapy for, you know, three, four, five, whatever plus years, and they're not getting any better like, well, how's that working for you now? And I don't want to, I'm not trying to get down on therapists and counselors because I think they're doing a lot of amazing stuff. But mm. again, these are, I think it's mostly for the people who are now in crisis. And I think that is such a small percentage of the population that's really in crisis. It's that the bulk of the population just needs a little bit of help and support. Yeah, you know, it's why you go to a gym, right? More people are going to gyms than they're going to doctors, right? Well, I don't know that number. I just made that one up. I don't know about that one. Well, but I think he, you make a good point. And, and I read a guy, his name is Nick Bennett out of the UK, and he wrote this whole thing about how important language is in terms of addressing mental health. And we spent a lot of time and effort on creating that very important paradigm of physical wellness, Right, mm -hmm. we spend a lot of resources at every level of society, including mm -hmm. the federal level, mm -hmm. of how important physical exercise is. Don't we have like a federal program like that uh, they put yeah. in schools? Yeah, right? yeah. Well, and then there's the um, the NFL sixty, the you know where yeah, NFL supporting um, kids in school doing like sixty minutes of physical activity. Right, right. But, you know, Family E Journal only takes five minutes, and you can do it on your phone and. <laughs> You know, right. it's a lot so, easier than 60 minutes of physical activity a day, I'll right. tell you that. <laughs> but you, you need both, and you need a balance, right? You need both. Yeah, you need to nurture each element of well-being, right? Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Right. Um, and, you need an integrated approach, Kevin. I think you'd right. agree. Mind, body, relationship, environment. Thinking of things wholly instead right. of, you know, WH. O L L Y, as well as H O L Y, if that's your thing. But right. I mean, the idea is that it's a whole, not just a part. And we tend to, again, focus yeah. on parts and we get very uh -oh, yeah. focused on the physical well, part. And I think it's really yeah. important that we talk about them both in the same breath. Definitely. Well, I like the, the car analogy for, for wellness. So you've got four tires, right? You have four tires on your car. So if you pump up just one tire, how's that car going to run? <laughs> oh well, God. that's what we do with physical health. We just pump up the physical health tire. 
Yeah. Now we're starting to, you know, put a little air in the mental health tire with mindfulness and meditation, you know, some yoga. Sure. Um, yeah. I think yoga is still more physical than mental, but it depends on who the person is. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. You know, but but what are we doing for the spiritual or for the for the emotional health, you know? I mean, like emotional health, nothing. So what happens if just one tire of your car goes flat? How's your car running? <laughs> I can so relate to this. Yeah, it makes right? me laugh because it's yeah. to me it's so obvious. It's like, come yeah. on. Yeah. Right. So that emotional tire is completely flat for most people. Yeah. And like we said, 25% of, of adult U.S. citizens don't feel like they have a single person that they can go to in life. So it's no wonder that what some 25% of Americans are um, on an antidepressant, you know, yeah. and, and another 25% or something are on an anti-anxiety. And then 50% of the people are, who are on an anti-anxiety are also on an antidepressant. Yeah, it, it, to me, it's, it's as plain as the nose on my face. It's, you know, <laughs> What's going on here? You know, well, but, but you got to do a little work, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's what we're... So, but I don't want to, I mean, I hope I don't sound too negative because I just want to help enlighten and, and share what I've learned that all it takes is a little bit of authentic sharing with someone that matters to you. And I love that. you only need that one person even. You know, the kid that, that grew up in the crime-ridden neighborhood and the parents, you know, were barely involved, maybe it's divorced or whatever, and single parent, and they're trying to just put food on the table, you know, but maybe that teacher took that child under their wing. That's all you need, a teacher, a coach, a, you know, a preacher, a parent, you know, somebody yeah. to believe in you. And it's amazing what a person can do when someone believe when you feel like someone believes in you. You can do like anything. I love that. That's such a perfect place to wrap this up because that is what I, at the end of the day, as a parent, as a coach, as someone who is out there with a loud, persistent voice, it is not steeped in doom and gloom and negativity. It really is about hope. Hope is showing somebody a different view mm -hmm. and then being, wow, I never thought of it that way. This is an opportunity we're talking about, Kevin. It's not something that we're talking about that is going in a direction of, of darkness. It is this is the opportunity in front of us right now is to talk about this in a very hopeful way. And I appreciate you and I appreciate your point of view and that what you're doing out there. And I want, I'm going to spread the word about familyejournal.com for sure. Thank you. And I think it's such an important note that we end on is that we can, we can heal our mental health in a fun and completely non-clinical way without terrific effort in, in the sense of how we think it's going to be hard. And so right. I want that to be, you know, really important to, to, to get out there to, to people who are listening to this and who will share this is that there is lots of hope. Definitely. Lots of, to, to, we can definitely nurture our mental and emotional health in a, in a very easy way. And yeah. once it takes hold, it's quick. You know, I mean, I've had people contact me, you know, families contact me and they say, you know, this, this one father wrote me, he said, my 12-year-old daughter hasn't spoken to my ex-wife in over a year. And within a week of using Family eJournal, they've started talking again. Wow. Because once you feel nurtured, 
every, your whole behavior changes, your whole demeanor changes. That's right. And you don't want to go back. And yeah. also through word of mouth, families are going to share this with other families. And I think that's also good news. That's how it spreads. Spread love the love. <laughs> Spread the love, man. And, and at this time of year, this is really at the end of the day, it's, it's not necessarily a philosophy that's going to really keep pushing change forward, but it's going to be at its source love. And, I, and what I hear from you is somebody who really loves what they're doing and loves to help people. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate you, Kevin, and keep on rocking. And I cannot wait to meet you on our trip around the country when we make it to the East Coast. I would love oh, to yeah, absolutely. something For together sure. and hug it out and just and, and really do a talk where we can talk to people about this fun and non-clinical way where people can get connected and we can start changing the, the course of of belonging to more people feeling like they're valued and, and, and loved. That'd be awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and I look forward to continued collaboration and talking, not just on podcasts, but uh, mm-hmm. otherwise in other ways. And so everybody out there, one of the most important things about this podcast is that you feel like you've learned something different. So share this podcast if you have. I'm going to include in the show notes how to get a hold of Kevin, his websites, really important family. Say that one more time, Family Recovery Journal. Is that Say that one more time. So it's familyejournal.com, and that's for nurturing your personal relationships, and yep. corporateejournal.com, which is designed to strengthen coworker relationships. Beautiful. Thank you, Kevin Strauss. That was amazing. Thank you for all you do to encourage people to connect in a powerful way. It is incredible work that you do. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Eating Recovery Center, who provides the very best care to patients, families, and providers of care in the treatment of and recovery from eating disorders and related conditions. And again, thank you to all the listeners for joining us. Remember to follow Wide Wonder on Facebook and Instagram, as well as YouTube. Our journey around the country continues, and you can follow us and our events at www.widewonder.life. Last and certainly not least, please leave me an iTunes review. Take care, everybody, and have an amazing rest of your day.